Rise Up theme song, take 17. Answering the difficult and critical questions youth may face that relate to Mormon culture and teachings. This is the Rise Up Podcast, produced by Fair Mormon. Race issues in the LDS Church can be difficult to understand and even more difficult to talk about. The Church released an official statement regarding some history on the subject, but there are those who still have questions. Russell Stevenson has dedicated a good portion of his adult life to studying this history and it's written on the subject. He offers three suggestions on how to approach and discuss this controversial subject. Greetings, my name is Russell Stevenson. I am the author of For the Cause of Righteousness, A Global History of Blacks and Mormonism. And uh, I have been asked by FAIR to talk with you all a little bit about coming to grips with the Latter-day Saint faith and its history with the African-American population. As an author on this topic, I have experienced a wide range of emotions from the Latter-day Saint community on, on how to deal with uh, sensitive, uh, sensitive aspects of our history. This is a tough one. Uh, this is the kind of topic that has caused numerous faith crises. It's the kind of thing that was always on the minds of Latter-day Saints as they dealt with the civil rights movement, as they heard about the church in the news in the 1960s, 1970s. In many ways, this was one of the defining aspects of the Latter-day Saint experience uh, for the, uh, the generation that preceded us. The reality is that for most of Latter-day Saint history, peoples of African descent could not hold priesthood office, nor could they receive temple ordinances. And for, uh, for many people, this, this strikes them as unjust, immoral. I mean, how on earth could a faith tradition that proclaimed itself to be the only true and living church on the face of the earth also exclude such a large percentage of the human family from uh, the fullness of its blessings? I am deeply sympathetic uh, with those concerns. I have many, many friends who are uh, who have African ancestry, and I know them personally, and I wonder, you know, if I had lived 50 or 100 years ago, uh, how would I have felt if I was told that my friends uh, could not stand beside me in the celestial room of the temple? So the concerns that we have over these uh, these issues, over this particular issue in uh, Latter-day Saint history, they're valid. And frankly, if it doesn't cause a person at least a little bit of angst, I would say that they have not thought about it enough. So what I'm coming here to do is to discuss how we can have these kinds of conversations with those who have concerns about this aspect of our history. There are three steps that we need to follow in having these kinds of conversations. And like President Hinckley, I have categorized them as the three B's. And that is one, be humble, two, be aware, and three, be teachable. Now, one, be humble. Given the percentage of peoples of African descent who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, chances are that if you're listening to this podcast, you will not have African ancestry. 
you know, you, you may be Caucasian, uh, you may be Latino, you may be something else, uh, but frankly, chances are that uh, you are something other than African or, or African-American. So with that in mind, uh, we all need to recognize that we have not walked in their shoes, that we have not had the same kinds of life experiences that they have had. We need to recognize that, um, especially if we are Caucasian, um, we have not had to reckon with race in the same way that they have had. We are not in a place to tell those of other ethnicities, and especially in this case, those of, uh, of African descent, you know, what their experiences mean to them. It's tempting to suppose that, well, you know, I, you know I'm white, but you know, I don't have a beautiful home. I, I don't have you know, all these things. So it, it, how can we possibly say that by being white, we experience certain privileges? But it's really quite simple. You know, if you are a white Latter-day Saint, then you have never had to look yourself in the mirror and realize that at one point in your faith's history, you would have been told that you were cursed. Or at one point in your faith's history, you would have been told that you were not valiant in the premortal life. You know, both of these things uh, we have heard earlier leaders in our church say to some degree or another. And thankfully, the, the church has come out and said that uh, those teachings uh, simply aren't true. That's available on the church's race and the priesthood statement, which can be found on LDS.org in the gospel topics section. So whenever we enter these conversations, we need to recognize that peoples of African descent are coming at the conversation from a different place than we are. The second step is that we need to be aware. We need to be knowledgeable of what the history of blacks in our church actually is. It's, it's often tempting for us to say that Black people could not hold the priesthood or receive temple ordinances up until 1978. But that simply isn't true. That's not correct. Uh, the documentation, as laid out uh, in some clarity in the church's race and the priesthood statement, is that there were some people of African descent who could hold a priesthood office uh, during Joseph Smith's time. Uh, the most prominent among them is a man by the name of Elijah Abel, or Abel's, depending on which document you look at. Uh, he served three missions for the church uh, at various times in his life. Uh, he held a relatively high priesthood office. He was considered to be a 70, and he was uh, recognized as a close friend and a confidant of Joseph Smith, even well beyond his death. And there were other African Americans who held the priesthood as well in early Latter-day Saint history. Now, of course, this is the kind of thing that should you know, cause us to ask the question, well, what happened? You know, when did this change? And, and while we can certainly uh, trace this change down to a specific time period um, between 1847 and 1849, to date, we do not have you know, the day, the time, the place uh, at which this, uh, you know, this approach to, to race changed. And we do not have record of a specific written revelation dictating uh, that a change take place. We do know that uh, in March of 1847, Brigham Young supported blacks holding the priesthood. Now, some events took place uh, in, in winter quarters. You know, an African-American man by the name of William McCary, 
he he did some things to uh, to really scandalize the, the Latter Day Saint community. Uh, he broke the law of chastity specifically. He was uh, you know marrying women that he was not authorized to marry, and uh, therefore, in the eyes of the Latter Day Saints, he was uh, committing adultery. Now, because he was African American, these sins were seen as being particularly bad, as being uh, particularly uh, evil. And he was kicked out of the community, and uh, and his one legitimate wife, a, a white woman by the name of uh, Lucy Stanton McCary, uh, went with him. Now, this prompted the Latter-day Saints to begin to I mean, really feel that blacks did not have a place in their community anymore. And eventually, Brigham Young uh, came to adopt this logic. Now, there's there's more to the story, and I, you know, if if you're interested, then you know, there are uh, resources available to you. Uh, through uh, you know the Fair Mormon website, uh, as well as uh, through the Race and the Priesthood website, where you can learn more about this. Uh, but it's important to understand that this was you know really the beginning of the end of Black inclusion uh, in the Latter Day Saint Church. And by February of 1849, Brigham Young was stating unequivocally that Blacks could no longer hold priesthood office or, by extension, uh, receive temple blessings within the Latter-day Saint Church. So these are some of the basics as to how the policy of black exclusion uh, came into being. But again, let me emphasize, you know, if you want to know the time and the place uh, at which this change to, uh, you know, really came into being, we, we really don't have that information yet. Maybe there's a document out there somewhere that's hiding in the archives. Uh, I, would, I would love to see it. But I've I've looked for it. I've looked for maybe a letter that Brigham Young sent, you know, in, in 1848. I've, I've looked for some revelation, but to date, I have not found it, and no one that I personally know has found it. We just know that in February of 1849, Brigham Young told Lorenzo Snow that blacks could not hold the priesthood. So that's that's important for us to know when we enter these conversations, and you know, be aware of this history, so that way. Uh, we can have some credibility. Uh, we can sound like we know something about the history rather than just going off of what we feel to be right or what we think might be true. We can actually know something about what the documents actually say. In, in the book that I have written for the cause of righteousness, it does provide you a, a, an anthology of primary source documents, meeting minutes, letters, and, and statements that, that give you a sense uh, about the, uh, the origins of this policy. And you know, the final step is that we need to be teachable. We need to be open to uh, learning you know, new pieces of information and not be, uh, not be too defensive about it either. Because sometimes we will learn things, and I you know, include myself in this category, we learn things that trouble us, that, that give us some kind of moral angst, one thing that has not set well with me is, you know, when I when I learned that uh, that Utah ter- that the Utah Territory was in fact a slave territory, that slavery was legal in Utah uh, from 1852 onward. Now, we can understand that you know slavery did exist in other places in the country, uh, that it obviously was prevalent in in the Southern United States. We can understand that slavery has existed throughout time. But that doesn't change that, you know, according to the Doctrine and Covenants, it is not right that one man should be in bondage to another. It does not change the fact that all are alike unto God 
both black and white, bond and free. So when I learned this piece of information, I had to reckon with that. I had to reckon not merely with the history of it, but I had to reckon with the morality of it. Was it right and good and moral that the Latter-day Saints held other human beings in bondage? The answer is obviously no. It was not right, nor was it good, nor was it moral. To be sure, uh, slavery was never a, a, never a major part of Utah life, but it was there. And, uh, and I, as a, as a historian, had to come to grips with that. And thankfully, I've, you know, I learned about that at a fairly young age. And I've had time to process that and recognize that even if we as a Latter-day Saint community uh, made a bad call on that, and uh, an immoral call, that even still, we as a Latter-day Saint community are, are capable of making those kinds of mistakes. You know, the children of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of, of a mistake that they made. Right? We know that Nephite society in the Book of Mormon, they went astray as a society. So this isn't new. Uh, the possibility of a, of a society going uh, astray uh, isn't something that is unheard of in our scriptures. It just shows us that we as Latter-day Saints are susceptible to the ways of the world, that we are vulnerable to, you know, to adopting you know, certain ideologies or philosophies that, uh, that other people in the world are, uh, take as being true. And for me, it's been a cautionary tale. That even today, in 2014, there are certain notions that other of my friends who are not of our faith adopt that, that I need to be careful. I need to say, you know, just because the rest of the world believes that doesn't mean that I should believe it too. That you know, we as Latter-day Saints need to hold ourselves to a higher moral standard. So for me, uh, being teachable doesn't mean that I give up my core principles. It just means that I, that I be ever ready and vigilant in acknowledging that there may be a piece of information out there uh, that doesn't fit with uh, what I believe uh, to be true and that I be ready to reckon with that and uh, possibly engage in a course correction. So let's sum up some of the steps that we can take to, uh, uh, to engage in conversations about race and the church uh, with friends who are concerned about it. First, we need to be humble. We need to acknowledge that we have not shared the same kinds of life experiences that those of, uh, of African descent have, uh, have experienced. Two, you know, we need to be aware. We need to be knowledgeable. We need to understand something about the topic before we uh, dare to engage in it. And you know, if, we, if we don't know anything about it, then really the best and most respectable uh, answer is, I don't know, but I will find out. I know where I can find out. That is intellectually defensible. There is nothing wrong with saying, I don't know the answer to a question, but I will get back with you. The intellectually indefensible response is to pretend like we know something that we don't. Because when we do, everybody loses. And that leads us into the, the final step, and that is to be teachable. When we do learn something new, we recognize it, we engage it, uh, we criticize it if necessary, and then we accept it or we dismiss it as the case requires. I have faith in my uh, Latter-day Saint community. I, I believe that as Latter-day Saints, we are, or we have the greatest capacity to be universalistic in our worldview, to be ever, to be ever and all embracing of the human family, regardless of race, color, eth or ethnicity. I believe in our moral foundations, that all are alike unto God, both black and white, bond and free. 
And we can be unequivocal on that. That that text, it doesn't have any loopholes. It doesn't have any, uh, any footnotes. It doesn't have any exceptions or caveats. It is a clear statement about the standing of all mankind before God. And I bear my testimony of that to you. And I wish you well in your efforts to understand this aspect of our history. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rise Up. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes under the name Mormon Faircast. Questions or comments can be posted at blog.fairmormon.org in conjunction with this episode. Tune in each week for another episode of Rise Up. Thank you for listening.